This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. And this week we look back at a week in which the COVID-19 crisis hit the media hard. First, Radio Sport got the final whistle and some reporters lost their jobs, while others took pay cuts and were warned that redundancies will possibly follow. And that's all over the country at several companies. The government has said that targeted assistance for the industry will come soon and it also tweaked a controversial call that shut down many local newspapers during the lockdown. But some are still unable to print important local news at a time when it really matters. Meanwhile, publishers of magazines are angry about a ban on them. And then the giant German publisher of our most important ones suddenly pulled the plug on them and about 250 jobs with no warning at all. Now, Bauer Media claims that the COVID-19 crisis and the government's handling of it have conspired to make its magazines unviable. But does that really stack up? And is it all over now for our top magazine titles? But meanwhile, the coverage of the crisis continued to dominate almost everything we read, saw and heard in our media this past week. Good evening and welcome to this News Hub special. Tonight, a documentary we can all relate to right now. In lockdown, in isolation, no contact with anyone outside of our bubble. We're living in extraordinary times. That was Mike McRoberts on the TV Channel 3 last weekend, introducing a special emergency documentary from the UK called How to Isolate Yourself. It felt to me like the government is being led by the science and that the science is pretty good. Maybe it's not perfect, it's a new disease, but that by doing the things we're being told to do, we will slow this epidemic down comforting message, sort of, from the virologist who made that show for the UK's Channel 4. But some in the media here this past week had a little less faith in the government's handling of their business after a week that showed they can't isolate themselves from the economic effects of the pandemic. And almost everywhere you look or listen in our media at the moment, it's all COVID almost all the time. This week on 3, the project's customary panel of side-by-side presenters had been pared down to just two at times, physically distanced from each other at the desk. They tackled reported vigilantism in communities trying to keep people and the virus out. And there was also a revealing glimpse of life for a supermarket worker on the essential service front line. When I finish my shift, no matter what time of day it is, I'll flip my mum a text saying, hey, I'm on my way home. I reverse in, I'll walk into the garage that's now open. I'll leave my shoes, my belt and my bag on on the floor in the garage. And the rest of the things that I want to bring inside, I'll take them to my little decontamination station that I've got there. So I'll put all the dirty stuff in the in the dirty bucket. The project followed that up with an expert on how the virus lives on things, and crucially, for how long. And am I just supposed to leave things like, I don't know, my sheet of copper that I'm bringing home and my... Uh, uh, <laughs> do I leave them outside the door until it's safe for them to come in 72 hours later? Look, the good thing about this virus in terms of cleaning is that it's what we call an enveloped RNA virus. So it's quite susceptible to the effects of soap and alcohol. So Not sure how much copper sheeting we're all handling at the moment, but anyhow, that was definitely news we could use at 7pm in an emergency. Meanwhile, on TBNZ 7 Sharp at the same time, host Jeremy Wells was back from a spell in self-isolation, but at a distance from his co-host Hilary Barry. 
It turns out you need to treat Rover like a door handle, not just like a beloved family pet, because at the end of the day, they're just another surface, a surface you can't clean with hand sanitizer. And even when it wasn't specific COVID-19 content on the screen, the virus was having an impact. At the same time, over on TV2, Shortland Street's now only on three nights a week because it's one of several local shows that can't be filmed at the moment. And these days, even the ads are often coronavirus content. If you're an approved essential service such as hospital, medical, aged care, police, defence force, hotels or similar, we are able to supply your needs including education, commercial kitchen products, appliances, whiteware, heating, blankets and home office. An ad on News Talk ZB last Tuesday afternoon for the retailer Harvey Norman. Now pre-lockdown, they were famous for their rapid-fire high-frequency ads urging us to come on down for the bargains. But now that they're only offering essential goods delivered to the door, they've really taken it down a notch or two under Level 4 lockdown. On behalf of all Kiwis, thank you for your service. And the same day that ad aired, the Australian-owned company was in the bulletins itself for telling landlords of its stores here that they wouldn't be paying rent while their stores were closed. But the commercial media companies can't run on COVID-19 ads alone either, and in the past seven days, that's become painfully clear. On Tuesday, MediaWorks asked its employees to take a 15% pay cut to save the business, just a day after the New Zealand Herald and News Talk ZB's owner NZME warned darkly that the scope and scale of its business must change because its advertising income has slumped in a stalled market. And with all top sport on hold right now, NZME had already closed Radio Sport and then made some sports reporters redundant soon after. And the problems are acute for Sky TV as well, with all those sports channels to fill. Though Sky Sport did launch one new bit of content for them this week, a news show all about top rugby players coping with COVID-19 lockdown life. Welcome to Isolation Nation. Say hi. Hi. Four walks, just like that. Here's my baby. You're not being me, bro. Trying to keep fair amounts of normality to this isolation period. On Wednesday, TVNZ told its staff it had applied for wage subsidies for them as well because the ads were dropping away and costs would have to be cut. Meanwhile, ads in the papers have been thinning out as well, and even in the digital age, printed papers still generate most of the money for our biggest publisher stuff, which this week asked its staff to use up its leave to help the company cut costs. And the ODT staff in Dunedin went to a four-day week. But when it comes to problems in the print media industry, it was the sudden and shocking shutdown of the biggest publisher of our magazines, which hit the headlines on Thursday. Kia ora, good evening. There's a gaping hole in the magazine racks where some Kiwi favourites once sat. The publisher of The Listener, Women's Day, Women's Weekly, Next and North and South has folded effective immediately. A news hub can reveal the government turned down a last-ditch request to throw the business a lifeline. The immediate closure of Bauer Media's New Zealand operation led the 6pm TV news that night, even on a day we'd just had our biggest jump yet in COVID-19 cases. And for Bauer Media, access to those magazine racks right now was part of the issue, because they can't get issues of their normally top-selling titles onto those shop shelves, because they're closed, and they can't even be sold in the supermarkets that are open because, as we heard last weekend on Media Watch, the government had suddenly decided that some local papers and all magazines are non-essential items, and distributing them was too risky and could even disrupt more important stuff. 
Now that angered the head of the newspaper publishers association, Rick Neville, who pointed out in an opinion piece on Friday he can still get cut flowers and fishing bait in his local shops. But Bauer Media's decision to quit the country means you won't get some of those top titles in the shops or in your mailbox ever again. The Bauer closure is immediate. 237 full-time jobs will go, including those of some of our best investigative journalists and writers, and there are many more contributors not employed full-time. Columnists, designers, artists, reviewers, photographers and so on. And downstream from that, there's the distributors and the retailers who are also affected. Some cash cows for the company in the past, like Air New Zealand's in-flight magazine Kiora and street-side giveaway Property Press, are absolutely no use to them right now. However, the likes of TV Guide, North and South and Metro still have stable sales these days, and readers would have returned to them when the lockdown ends. Two of the company's prestige publications, the New Zealand Woman's Weekly and The Listener, have both been in print for more than 80 years, and sales of both of those have also been steady this year. And just one day before the shock announcement from Bauer Media in Hamburg, Finance Minister Grant Robertson had said targeted assistance for the media in the medium term would be worked out soon. So, why did the German giant pull the plug so soon? Well, strangely for a business that's all about publishing for the public, Bauer Media and its top brass are not speaking for themselves. The PR firm Schurson Willis is speaking on its behalf. But in its statement, the local chief executive Brendan Hill said the decision had been taken because the volume of ads will never get back to pre-crisis levels, they believe. He also said the restrictions on our business because of the government's move to level four made its position untenable. Now on News Habit 6, media man Bill Ralston, who was a columnist and the listener, agreed with that. Most of the New Zealand magazine market is now destroyed because of a really dumb call by the government. But on Thursday, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was not taking the blame for Bauer bailing out. They didn't enter a conversation about becoming an essential service. They didn't seek to continue to operate in lockdown. And they didn't want to use the government support to keep their doors open. Now it's true that Bauer Media didn't apply for the government wage subsidy scheme and it's also true Bauer has been keen to sell its assets in Australia and New Zealand for quite a while. So it probably would have quit this country eventually, COVID-19 or not. News Hub at 6 also reported that Bauer Media offered to sell the titles to the government, which would have let them off the hook for redundancy costs. But the government had no interest in owning any more of our media than it already does, and it was never likely to have regarded that as a serious offer. As long-time listener journalist Gordon Campbell put it on scoop.co.nz, just imagine the screams of outrage over Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern ending up as the ultimate owner of the New Zealand Woman's Weekly. But the Prime Minister's claim that Bauer Media hadn't responded to magazines suddenly being slated as non-essential by her own Ministry for Culture and Heritage last week is disputed by the company. Bauer's spokesperson said it lobbied the Ministry for Culture and Heritage as a member of the Magazine Publishers Association. And in a minute we'll ask another member of that outfit about that. But one man who's well-placed to tell us what the German giant of publishing was up to is Paul Dykesall. He was hired to run things here when the company moved into New Zealand in 2012, and three years ago he crossed the Tasman to run Bauer's entire Australia and New Zealand division until he retired last December. So was Paul Dykesall surprised when Bauer pulled the plug on all publishing here on Thursday? No, not, no, not at all, really. I mean, the, the, the reality is, of course... No doubt they have been working on this for some time. You know, the announcements are quick because they just have to be. 
there's no other way of doing it. You know, you can't. I don't believe you can you can do this in any in any, any manner other than in as, as speedily as they as they have done. But there would have been, and I know that there has been, an extraordinary amount of work done to try and find, you know, alternatives. I'm pretty confident that you know there will be an emergence of, of alternatives, you know, coming in to pick up some of the publications. If something with the scale of their uh, operation is saying the business is no longer viable and has to close immediately, uh, is it really uh, feasible or hopeful that a lot of individual titles would carry on with separate smaller publishers? The German model was always to try and get dominant positions wherever they went. When you have a very small country like New Zealand, you know, even though you have a dominant position, it's still not a very big position. That doesn't mean that the publications aren't good or can't survive. It just means they don't survive in the environment of um, of a you know of a very large publishing house. You know, there's still a very good business there. You know, this, the circulations of some of these magazines are still pretty damn good. There's an awful lot of people who still want to buy Woman's Day, and an awful lot of people who buy The Listener in North and South, etc. So these magazines can survive because there's an awful lot of very good magazines in New Zealand, that are part of small organisations, they don't make the profits that would satisfy a large corporation, but they still are viable businesses and they, and they, and they, and they still have a place. Would this have been a decision taken either in Germany, uh, completely in isolation, looking at numbers, or possibly at the Sydney HQ and then given a green light by the HQ in, in Hamburg? You know, historically, the way they've worked is they, yes, they do take credence of what the local publishing companies think. But in the end, it's all about the numbers, you know, and it's involved in lots of things other than magazine publishing. It's, you know, it's a substantial digital business worldwide now. It owns an extraordinary amount of radio around the world. But you look, and clearly New Zealand wasn't meeting those, those objectives, and hence the decision. I mean... The Germans are very pragmatic about the way they do things and the way they decide things. I mean, historically, media has always been owned, you know, families, you know, the, the Murdochs and the, and the Packers and people that are, you know, they have always had very strong emotional links to media. That is not part of the way the German business works. Uh, do you think it's a decision that could have been coming anyway and that they've acted so swiftly because they were perhaps looking for an opportunity uh, to shut down a part of the business that wasn't making them a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things? Of course they've been, they've been looking. They've been looking for years, you know. They've, you know they, they've started looking at the publishing business around the world five years ago, and that's the reason that they've exited from certain countries, because they've seen publishing model is in decline. I mean, that was part of, you know, a constant review. It was a constant review process. Did you ever feel like they were going to close it down in, in Germany? They might have taken the decision in, in the times when you were in charge, you know, long before COVID-19 was a thing? No, I never thought that they'd ever close it down. But then, you know, then COVID-19 is, a, is an extraordinary um, experience that none of us have ever experienced. And if I was there today, would it have made a difference? I doubt it very much. You know, in Australia, I, when I went there, I closed a considerable number of titles because they just weren't viable anymore. That the young audience has just disappeared to digital. That's the world, you know. That's the way media is these days. And you know, you can keep pumping money into it, but it's 
you know, it's ne- it, was, it was never going to come back. When it comes to New Zealand journalism, the listener, you know, a legacy that goes back to 1939, do you really think these can be revived in anything like their current form? Yeah, I absolutely genuinely do. But, you know, look, I'm a very confident, you know, the listener won't disappear. It'll re-emerge under different ownership and it will continue to make a significant contribution with the German uh, owners. They never had anywhere in the world magazines that were like that. You know, the magazines tended to be TV guides, uh, you know, the Women's Day type titles. So it was never really ever much of a consideration. Um, you know, they wouldn't have looked at this from a title-by-title title basis. They would have looked at this from a total business perspective, which, unfortunate, which is unfortunate for the likes of a, of a listener or a magazine like Your Home and Garden, you know, which in their own right are still very, very successful. That was Paul Dykesul, the former general manager for Bauer Media in New Zealand, and for three years he was head of the entire Australia and New Zealand operation until about four months ago. Now you can read more about what Paul Dykesul had to say and more about Bauer Media shutting down New Zealand's most enduring and most popular magazines in the online version of this story. It's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website. Just look for the title, Speaking Truth to Bauer. And on the Media Watch page of the RNZ site, you'll also find Hayden Donnell's handy Media Watch summary, a guide to apportioning blame for the Bauer Media shutdown. While Bauer Media owns most of the major magazines in this country, which are now in mothballs, many other small companies here are still producing magazines, as Paul Dykesel said there, or at least they were, until last week's decision by the government means they can't for the time being. Many were angry about suddenly being deemed non-essential in a level 4 lockdown, unlike the rest of the news media. And among them was James Frankham, director of Corfi Media, publisher of the multi-award winning New Zealand Geographic magazine. He's also a board member of the Magazine Publishers Association, which tried to change the government's mind about the rule that's put them out of action temporarily and hurt their business. But was that really a big factor in Bauer Media folding its magazines here so swiftly? I was a little bit surprised by the swiftness, but having said that, we have been... Um, speaking with the Ministry of Culture and Heritage about this pretty much day and night uh, for the past week and saying that this is exactly the kind of thing that they should be expecting will happen under the current policy setting. While I was surprised at how quickly uh, it was announced, it was everything that we were uh, predicting. This is what happens when a publisher, a media publisher of any sort, uh, cannot get their product to market. And it was you know, no surprise, really, that Bauer realised they were in a completely untenable position, and it was exacerbated by poor advertising returns too. And the government made a dumb decision, as Bill Ralston put it? I think the government is necessarily making very, very coarse uh, decisions, and then trying to get a higher degree of resolution as they work through those with officials. That's what they have to do to be able to respond quickly, and we understand this. When uh, they came out with the decision that um, of all media, magazines alone were uh, non-essential. They were engaged with that process, but um, you know, I didn't have the result that we wanted. Um, the net effect of it, I think, is a policy setting which is dumb. And this it needs to be remembered that you know, a printing process is a highly automated process with a very low level of a touch going into a substrate that is um, paper, which is one of the most resilient to the virus. 
then it's also going through uh, essential business services to get to the uh, end users, either through our retail distributor or through um, the, the postal network, which was the network that the Prime Minister was uh, recommending that community newspapers take. So, and so, yeah, in, in one sense, I wouldn't have chose the word, words that uh, Bill Roston used, but um, I agree with the sentiment. If we had an onshore-owned uh, magazine industry as we used to have, or, or the larger titles, this might not be happening. Do you think that might have made a difference now that things have hit crisis point for the media? I mean, I can't speak for Bauer, of course. I, I imagine, of course, uh, the New Zealand operation is a pixel on uh, Bauer's very large screen. The decisions that are made in Germany don't reflect the local media environment as they might do for for local publishers. Um, speaking for New Zealand Geographic, you know, we don't have the option of pulling out of New Zealand. Bauer, of course, is in a quite a different environment. And, and so, um, yeah, we, we have to sleep in the bed that we've made, I'm afraid. Uh, and this reckoning has been a long time coming. And, of course, you uh, have made great strides in a digital platform as well for um, New Zealand Geographic. So I guess in this hiatus, perhaps that's helpful? Uh, yes, that's correct. You know, it, it is our traffic to our website is about 250% up per day than before the lockdown period. So people are clearly responding to the material there and they want something to read. And digital subscriptions are also uh, up on that site. And so, you know, we're fortunate that we've gone down the track uh, of having a metered paywall um, system on that and it is paying dividends now. Regrettably, however, it's not going to be enough to cover off all of the costs of uh, producing the content. Most of the content is still produced for the print product uh, and at this stage we couldn't survive on just the digital product alone. So it still needs to be a mix of channels. So uh, all you know, uh, media companies will be in a similar situation. I don't think the Herald could go exclusively digital overnight, um, likewise uh, any other media publisher. And James, earlier we spoke to Paul Dykesall, uh, the um, boss of Bowers New Zealand operation for many years, uh, and he was absolutely adamant that these were good businesses that Bauer has closed, some of these magazines. Uh, for example, something like The Listener, he said, had a core uh, subscriber readership as well as doing retail sales in print and is this possibly um, an opportunity when the business horizon clears a bit for a publisher like yours? Uh, yeah potentially I don't think you'll find very many publishers lining up to uh, pick up new magazines in the current environment it's a real challenge for advertising uh, at present you know it's just gone off the cliff you know we can't get to market and we couldn't get to market with a second magazine either so nine months 12 months down the track there might be a possibility of trying to breathe life in some of these uh, publications but to be honest right now that's a that's a real long shot uh, to be honest i feel like we're competing day to day more with uh, facebook and google and youtube than we are with um, other magazines in many respects, that's why the Magazine Publishers Association has been so effective and Bauer were uh, cooperative and generous in that environment. If, if you're scratching for a silver lining on this one, I think it's, it's, it's hard for us to find. Likewise, without Bauer in the market and the, uh, the volume that they brought to the market, it, um, it means that our whole supply chain is less stable than it was. So potentially somebody could come in and, and pick up a title like The Listener and and have a crack at it, but we're not in the same market we were a couple of months ago. 
like just about every business in New Zealand, we're in a very much in a wait and see um, sort of mode at this stage. What is it in terms of the magazine publishers that are still there and still want to produce? What is it you think now that the government could do? Um, because they have signalled, for, in- for instance, the finance minister targeted assistance for the media industry in the medium term. Well, in the first instance, uh, the magazine's uh, publishers need to be able to get to their market. We need to be able to use the New Zealand Post network just like everybody else uh, can. We need to be able to get into supermarkets just like every other supermarket supplier can. The suggestion that Helen Clark made um, a few days ago is, is not a bad one. That is television and, and broadcasting, uh, even digital services have New Zealand on air to draw on in terms of their um, creating the kind of content that New Zealanders want to consume uh, but is too costly to produce. Long-form written content is likewise an important component of the the public conversation in New Zealand, and yet that has never had government funding. If there was a body, even if it was New Zealand On Air, that had a remit to fund uh, long-form journalism in New Zealand, I think you would find uh, many of these publications uh, would be tenable if they had a little bit of support. I'm not sure that uh, all companies... uh, need bailing out just yet. Um, we simply just need to be able to reach our markets and have a bit of relief at this time. You know, the, the one of the biggest issues, of course, is um, simply being able to compete with the multinationals, the likes of uh, Google and uh, Facebook and YouTube in this current environment. And uh, if we don't value the uh, homegrown uh, media outlets that we have, uh, uh, then they will disappear. So it's up to New Zealanders to decide And finally, James, uh, your publication has um, contributed in in another way uh, to the lockdown that we're all in, a daily um, email to subscribers um, with content quizzes for children, uh, stuff the whole family can do. Um, You must have pulled all this together um, really in a hurry, and uh, I hope people are making use of it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, we pulled that together pretty rapidly the same night as the school closure was announced, knowing that families... Uh, would be flailing the next day, uh, as indeed we all were. We were in a fortunate position of having a digital offering that could support that with New Zealand Geographic and with our partners at Natural History New Zealand. Um, we basically pulled that together overnight. Uh, yes, it's available as an email subscription, but also just on nzgo.com together at home. Parents perhaps are a bit worried that uh, as soon as they had kids at home and school was off, they might gravitate to the Netflix or online gaming or whatever else. And uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, again, this is the value of uh, local media. You know, if if you go to Netflix, you're going to find very little uh, from the New Zealand space. But this is where the rubber meets the road, really, in terms of local media. Um, If uh, we still want that sort of thing to be available to New Zealand kids and it needs to be supported. That was James Frankham, director of Corfi Media, the publisher of NZ Geographic and a board member of the Magazine Publishers Association. Now as he said there, New Zealand Geographic is a comprehensive online platform as well and throughout the lockdown it's been raiding the magazine's vaults to produce that daily free e-newsletter for families we mentioned there called Together at Home. There's videos and stories about New Zealand life and wildlife in each one each day and tasks for kids to complete at home. NZ Geographic is publishing the kids' work in Pictures 2 on its site, which James Frankham describes as the only art gallery anyone's allowed to visit right now. You can check it out and sign up for Together at Home at the website nzgeo.com.
as we also heard in Media Watch last weekend, along with magazines, local community newspapers were also deemed non-essential media last week, effectively banned from printing and distributing for fear of spreading the virus while we're at level four. However, daily papers and almost daily ones, which are published by the big newspaper publishers, were still deemed essential because they can get timely information to people locally. Now, after some pushback from publishers of the other papers and some politicians a bit upset about losing a local voice in their neck of the woods, the Cabinet agreed last Monday to revise that. Those in rural areas with little other news media, those with poor connections to the internet and papers serving non-English speakers are now deemed essential ones, but many others are still in limbo. For example, The Beacon in Whakatane has reporters all around the Bay of Plenty, but publishes only three days a week. Wednesday's front page reported that COVID-19 had arrived in Apotiki, but that edition couldn't be printed under the new rules or delivered to urban letterboxes, though rural ones were fine because they're served by New Zealand Post. Now in response, The Beacon made the digital edition of the paper available to all for free. Usually, only paying subscribers can get it behind The Beacon's paywall. And meanwhile, The Beacon's other community papers in the region, Portiki News, The Eastern Bay News and Waitomo News, are not viewed as essential. According to the publisher, they're unavailable for the duration of the lockdown. And The Beacon is also putting those local news stories for free as soon as possible on its Eastern Bay app, while it can't print and deliver those papers. But that also means, of course, it can't make much money by printing the ads, which are the paper's lifeblood. Now, another paper that's in a similar position is Nelson Weekly, which also runs news on the Nelson app and another one for Marlborough. But the Nelson Mail and the Marlborough Express, which are paid-for papers in the Stuff Empire, which only publish on four days each week, can still be printed and delivered to homes. Well, the managing director of Nelson Weekly is Andrew Board, so is his local paper now feeling the pinch of the lockdown rules? Well, firstly, I'm, I'm happy that they've uh, made some concessions and allowing some independent publishers and community newspapers to continue to publish. I guess it, it, it is doubled with a wee bit of disappointment with the way that it's been done. The Community Newspaper Association has you know, more than 80 independent publishers around New Zealand and all in very different and diverse um, regions and with and different circumstances. I think if they'd had a conversation with us first, we could have saved them a bit of grief along the way. And Andrew, what about your own situation? Has it actually disrupted your production? It did catch us out, I'll be honest. You know, we were uh, planning to publish next week and we were looking at doing bulk, dro- uh, bulk drops in supermarkets and delivering to our rural homes through New Zealand Post, which is who we, we do anyway. So on Friday, when the announcement was made, we certainly had advertisers come to us asking if we were still publishing. Uh, these included the local DHB um, councils and we just couldn't give them an answer. They got to the point earlier this week uh, Monday, Tuesday, they were saying, look, are you guys going or not? Because we're going to have to make alternative arrangements if if you can't carry our, our advertisements. That meant that we had to make the decision on Tuesday night uh, that we had to pull the pin. Sorry, Monday night that we had to pull the pin. It was getting too late for us. And I guess at the moment, DHB advertising and the likes is the one growth area, isn't there, because of the extraordinary circumstances we're in. So it would have been doubly frustrating to have to not be in a position to publish some of that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, all of a sudden we're going to lose advertisers to our competition who are able to publish uh, simply because they charge for their product. Um, You know, is that fair? I mean, I certainly have my opinion on it. (laughs) The government has been consulting with certain aspects of the industry, but not 
all aspects. Um, it has been better recently. Uh, you know, our president, David McKenzie, has been uh, uh, meeting regularly with the minister. But if the government's going to start getting involved in uh, bailouts for private enterprise, for private business in one industry, then they need to be talking to everybody, not just not just a select couple. And right now, are you still continuing to publish news digitally through uh, the Nelson app? And even if your print schedule has been disrupted and you're not quite sure uh, when you can go ahead um, publishing the paper? We're very fortunate that we have been um, in the digital space for a number of years. So in Nelson, we have the Nelson app and over in Marlborough, the, the Marlborough app. Look, we're seeing massive numbers uh, in those two products over the last uh, week or so. Our full team of journalists, so we have four journalists in Nelson, another three in Marlborough. Uh, they're all working full-time and all publishing stories to those two platforms. So the need for news has never been greater, I don't think. You know, this is a time when people crave news, and we're doing that. And the numbers we're seeing, I guess, like every other digital news organisation, are phenomenal. You know, they're, they're massive. Are you concerned about the future of, of your business, or are these things just unknowable with all the disruption we're seeing right now? Oh, no, we're not concerned at all about the future of our business. We're in a fortunate position. The Nelson Weekly has been going for uh, 10 years. Uh, and so we've been, you know, we've been preparing for a rainy day. A lot of other independent publishers will be as well. You've got to remember that most of the independent publishers are, you know, small teams, uh, don't really carry much debt, if any. Uh, so we're well placed to be able to deal with disruptions like this. I think on the whole, our industry is, is looking pretty good. No, look, we're certainly not worried about the future of the business. We're, you know, we're quite excited about how it will look getting out of the shutdown period. It's obviously, a, you know, it's been a big blow for a lot of businesses. And I'll include ours in that. You know, it certainly hasn't been e- easy for us. But uh, we're certainly not uh, concerned about the future. The Managing Director of Nelson Weekly, Andrew Board. As we mentioned earlier, the first service to fall this week, citing COVID-19 as a reason, was NZME's Radio Sport. Some pundits reckoned it might have closed without the current crisis and the writing might have been on the wall anyway. But it will be missed by its fans, including talkback callers like Peter. And it's, today's been a little bit of a sad day this afternoon for me. I'm a big fan of Radio Sport. Yeah. And gone. Sport will, sport will come back. Oh, and, yeah, I imag- yeah. and I imagine some form of sport radio will come back. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, because there's been some great hosts. Well, one radio sports broadcaster who is still around is Martin Devlin. His Devlin radio show also goes out on News Talk ZB. Brought the entire sports world to an abrupt halt, but that has not stopped a local sports talk show from still taking to the airwaves. Martin Devlin, DRS. Thank you very much for listening. New sport weather to come. And Martin Devlin usually has no trouble filling up three hours of airtime on Saturday and Sunday, but even he struggled to fill his three-hour show lately without actual sport. Last Sunday, for example, he even resorted to playing classic hits. Solid Gold Hits Volume 3. This is the heartbreaker. I love this song. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. Known you for a while. We've known each other since we were nine or ten. Now, at that point, Martin Devlin was unaware that just the next day, his bosses would be announcing that Radio Sport would close altogether. And that made Terry Jack's cheesy 1974 hit Seasons in the Sun an interesting choice. 
It's an adaptation of the much older song Le Moribond by melancholic Belgian singer-songwriter Jacques Brel, and it's all about a slightly bitter old man who's dying and farewelling his loved ones. Get my feet back on the ground Goodbye, Michelle, it's hard to die When all the birds are singing in the sky As we mentioned earlier, the newspapers are up against it too these days, with the advertising they depend upon drying up. But one Media Watch listener with a bit more time on his hands than usual in Masterton this week noticed a small upswing in advertising in the Dominion Post. In Wednesday's edition, for example, there were more ads than usual for funeral directors, just perhaps a little unsettling, and one for a coffin maker on Thursday. And the short ads for personal services, running in the old-fashioned classifieds, are still there in spite of the lockdown. Last Monday, for example, busty tall brunette Melissa was still advertising for clients and even offering easy parking. And while we're all four local businesses doing what they can to get by these days and advertising in the local papers, we're not sure that's a good idea during the Level 4 lockdown, unless the definition of essential services is a bit broader than we actually realised. Well, that's all from us at Media Watch this week, but before we go, like many at RNZ these days and elsewhere in the media, we've been working at home lately. So this week's programme is a homemade one and not nearly as polished as it would be when RNZ's expert engineers are finessing it as usual. Likewise, the guests who we'd usually have in our studio we've had to grab by whatever means we can wherever it is they're hunkered down. So apologies for the dodgy digital lines, crunching edits and flaky fades in this programme, and while I'm at it, in the ones coming up next week, and after that, and after that. But given the week we've all had in the media, hopefully that's no big deal. Hayden Donnell will be back with Midweek Media Watch on Nights with Brian Crump next Wednesday night at about half past ten. And we'll be back again with more Media Watch for you at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.